McPhee. <laughs> it's Cody with a K and not a C. Clint, it is episode 45 of Cinebabble. Uh, we we had our very special KSM Christmas. We did. Uh, did you enjoy your Christmas? Oh, it was a Christmas, Ken. It you was know, a Christmas. There was diseases going around, so that made it interesting. And Excellent. Relatives not present for the festivities, so <laughs> yeah. But it was it was enjoyable. Good. Well, I'm Ken, and as always, this is my co-host Clint, Hi. and we are fresh off of Christmas, headed towards New Year's because 2022 is just going to be yes, better things at a light. Yeah. Knees. Mm-hmm. So. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's 22. Is that what it is? Yeah. 2022? Yeah. Because I'm feeling like... <laughs> it's not going to be a repeat of this year. You know how when you watch trailer mm-hmm. for the reboot of a movie, mm-hmm. or, or perhaps a sequel to a movie franchise that existed long ago? Right. And you watch this, and you think, this looks a lot like the other thing I didn't like. Uh-huh. I don't think this is going to be... As good as everybody <laughs> thinks. Do you know that feeling, Clint? Yeah, I had that feeling a couple months ago when I saw a trailer that uh, that I think you're referencing. I, wait, what are you talking about, Clint? <laughs> Clint, what you been watching about? Well, Ken, there's been, um, you know, like I think I said the last time, there's been a lot of shows that like the new seasons have popped up and... Uh, that I was excited about, um, but th- this is a show that I was kind—I of, was excited f- for it to come out when I heard about it. But they did a TV series of MacGruber. Oh, uh, is, is that out? Yeah, yeah, on the Peacock <laughs> with okay. uh, yeah with Will Forte mm-hmm. and um, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, and does this Ryan I mean, this Phillippe, can't have Val Kilmer in it? No, oh, okay. because he died at the end of the uh, movie. Oh, okay, yeah, I forgot. But Ryan Phillippe's in it, and. Uh, um, so I was excited for that to come out, and and it's just okay. <laughs> oh no, it's not bad, but it's okay. like, um, it's definitely. I think it would would have maybe been better just as another movie, maybe okay. picking up. How um, many episodes is it? Eight episodes, half hour, hour, half hour. Okay, um, but it's enjoyable. It's like nice to have on. Like, it, but it's. Uh, I think some of the best jokes are probably just kind of. Not repeats of jokes from the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, movie, but just kind of reinterpretations. And um, but there's some new funny things in it. I I was a little disappointed. Um, I I do love the movie, but it's worth checking out. It's okay. but I, it's not going to blow your mind. I don't think. <laughs> Maybe it's okay. something I should revisit it, and, and like my expectations will be lower now, and I'll enjoy it more. But. It's on Peacock, right? Yeah. Okay. It's on Peacock. Right. But I wouldn't be mad if they did do another season. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's it's fun. Let's I get like... a little bit of a MacGruber Ted Lasso crossover. <laughs> I think that would be a mess. <laughs> yeah, it sounds horrible. But yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'm here all day, Hollywood. Just you know, I got I got these ideas and they got to get out. I don't know why your phone's not ringing. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing I watched was oh, this was me revisiting Porco Rosso. Oh, uh, I had the Miyazaki the film. Miyazaki film from '92. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched. I think I've only watched it one time before, mm-hmm. and it was one I enjoyed. But it's definitely not. It wasn't one that hit me as hard as some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got for Christmas for my wife um, this uh, really nice hardcover Miyazaki book that come out maybe last year, mm-hmm. and it's just like a lot of. Um, production um, artwork from like, you know, when they're trying to work out what the world's going to look like Mm -hmm. in each animation. And then like just nice like compilation of um, 
essays and stuff on like the making of the films. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really nice. Um, but that inspired me like, I want to watch one of these and I, I put on Porco Rosso. But this time around, I really did enjoy it oh, a yeah. lot more. Um, that one I've already always struggled with. It's it's not one that I, I, I enjoy it, but it, it doesn't leap out at me as far as when I'm thinking, I feel like a Miyazaki film. It, it might be one to revisit. Okay. Like it's got a lot of really... Um, nice elements kind of from the other film. And it's more, it's a much more streamlined movie, much mm -hmm. more just like about this character and like his love of um, aviation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's a much more subtle film. And uh, I enjoyed it for that. I liked okay. that it was just kind of like stepping into this world, like 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, another thing... I'm 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 just running through these today. Yeah, just, just, just barrel, barrel through. through. Just Heck yeah, yeah. Bobsled Hill, just yeah. right down. Um, yeah. What was that? Red Rover, Red Rover. <laughs> Send them movies over, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was going it's for. It's been a weird Christmas, Clint. Yeah, go on. Yes. Um, so I watched the Candyman um, ah, okay. reboot remake that then came I, out. I upselled. Yes, and I, I definitely. Uh, I, and I, you passed I, along to me. Probably so. raised those expectations. <laughs> I fear a little too high. You threw the word love around. I did. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to say that's not undeserved. There's a lot I liked about it. Mm -hmm. um, I and I I really love the. Um, Use of the the pup the puppetry the mm -hmm. shadow puppetry for doing kind of the um, flashbacks and telling the story exposition, um, and I there was nothing I disliked about it. Like I liked all the characters. Um, sometimes I get a little turned off by something that's setting itself in the art world because I think kind of like when a movie's about a writer, it doesn't really translate that well. Like, it doesn't, the, like, the passion and, like, the um, hard work that goes into mm -hmm. painting and stuff, like, it's right. always kind of very surface level. And I, and I still don't think it worked very well in this. My, and, and I would agree with you on that. I think the thing that any movie struggles with where it's a, a writer, a comedian, an artist, you name it, you have to really have something on the screen that's an excellent version of that thing, even if you only get it for a glimpse, because otherwise you're hearing about how amazing of a painter this person is right. or an amazing writer they are. But then you see their work. Um, we've talked about that before with movies about comedians where if if they're not actually funny in that mm -hmm. you know minute or so you see them on stage, it's hard to buy everything else that, that the story revolves around. Yeah, and I mean, a, a story about a painter or a writer, like you don't want to have a large sequence where you're watching someone paint or write because that's very boring. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's very boring yeah. unless you're maybe like Jackson Pollock and it's very action-packed paint splattering or something. Yeah. Um, so like, I think it worked for the context of the movie, like mm -hmm. what they were trying to say about... Like, I like that it was set in, like, he's this artist, and it's kind of the upper class, mm -hmm. um, and but, like, juxtaposed against, like, the lower income area that it's in and, like, gentrification and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Like, that that made sense, and that was interesting. Um, but I think my major thing about the movie that just didn't grab me was it wasn't scary to mm -hmm. me. And that is kind of number one for a horror movie. Um and regardless of it, it's saying a lot um, about like social issues and 
um, race relations and all that kind of stuff. Like it wasn't scary. Um, so that was, I think, my biggest disappointment. Well, and I think that's an interesting challenge in horror sequels in general because once you have the mythos established yeah. and you have everything uh, starting to be figured out, it's it's harder and harder to make those things scary. Right. Because, I, I mean, just look at, you know, any uh, franchise with, you know, multiple sequels from the 80s, whether it's Nightmare on Elm Street or uh, Friday the 13th or Michael Myers, there's there's a diminishing return. Yeah. Because the more you see something and the more you know about it, especially the more it comes out into the light, the more difficult it is to, to find fear in it. And the original Candyman was really dancing with this— um, this kind of central mystery of who this horror exactly. character is. Yeah. This one is more playing with that idea yeah. than allowing you to try to figure out. This is much more about, okay, how are they using Candyman in this movie mm-hmm. than what the heck is Candyman and how does how does this, uh, you know, where's the story going here? Yeah, and I feel like in substitute of, like, actual genuine scares, they mm-hmm. were going for, like, creative kills mm-hmm. and— that's something that I'm never that interested in that mm-hmm. much, unless it's like really, I mean, really inventive. Yeah. Um, so that I, I that part of it just lost me a little bit. Okay. But I honestly, I I think it was well done, yeah. and I, I did enjoy a lot of. I really liked the music for it. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Yeah, I think I think my biggest issue with it was it was so quick. It felt too short. Yeah. for what they were trying to do, and I feel like if they had reduced some of the horror tropes and increased some of the the dramatic padding yeah. and some of the mystery, I think it would have worked um, probably better for sure. But I still I I really enjoyed it. And I know I enjoyed it more than you, but um, yeah, I, I didn't I really dislike it. it but um, okay. Yeah, it was good. Okay. Sam, yeah. yeah, what you been watching about? Well, I, uh, in reference to uh, trailers, <laughs> <laughs> I watched a little flick called Matrix Resurrections. Did you see this thing? I did, Ken. Okay. Yeah. Before we talk about this thing, Clint, mm-hmm. people on the internet are okay. going to war over this movie. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's the internet, first of all. And I guess politics got old and COVID is old. And so they need something new to argue about. And the new social position is whether you like the Matrix Resurrections or not. Uh huh. I'm trying to think of, of how to explain uh, my fondness for this movie because it does not exist. <laughs> I really, really, really was thoroughly disappointed with this film uh, almost from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It um, I, I was I was kind of surprised because um, Reloaded and, and Revolutions got certain criticism, and I know those those two films have their fans. But I really thought, okay, this is going to be one of those. We're going back to the well, but we're gonna we're gonna fix some things mm-hmm. along the way. And I I felt like this was just further down. The the revolution's rabbit hole or, or whatever you want to call that. Um, I, I, there's probably more here to talk about. I just I was so surprised at the level of uh, disappointment I had with it. Yeah, because just nothing worked for me at all. Yeah, and there are people on fire about how amazing this movie is, and good at you. Uh, <laughs> I I wish I had that experience with that movie. What did What did you think of it, Clint? Well, I didn't have disappointment because I didn't have that much interest because I don't have that much love for the movies. I, I enjoy the first one. The yeah. other two, I could take or leave. Okay. So this one, I was on the fence about watching it until you were like, maybe watch it. Or you just like, you kind of like, it's a dumpster fire. You need to watch it. And that I, made me. I don't me, think I, I, I didn't. I, I told you it was available 
and you should watch it. And I think I went six hours, and I was genuinely feeling guilty. I'm like, I need to warn him because I knew you would hate it. Yeah. And and I just I, I started. It was it was legitimate sin of guilt, where I was like, <laughs> I'm I'm letting this poor man walk into a building that I know is filled with COVID, and I need to. This is wrong of me. You committed a sin of sin, and you had to let me know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I so yeah, I wasn't. There was no disappointment because I knew like. The trailer looked bad to me, okay. um, but it was so much worse than I was thinking. Yeah. I was 20 minutes in, and I texted you, and I was just like, I don't think I can finish this movie. It started doing things where it's just like such hacky filmmaking, and they're trying to be meta, but it's like the baseline of meta. Yeah. And it just didn't work for me, and they're just doing things with the blue pills and the red pills. Lots that are of so, blue pills and red so pills. So cheesy, and I— and I, I got to the halfway point where then like, okay, this is <laughs> this okay, we're back to first matrix yeah. now. This is and and so I just followed through, I got through it. But this movie is just a complete remake of the first movie. Like with shots constantly yeah. thrown up on screen of the first movie. So as if to punctuate that. So this did the thing like that bothered me about the new, newest trilogy of Star Wars, the mm-hmm. first one, where the remixing. it's the remixing, and they're ba- telling the exact same story over again, basically the same story elements, but with you know different characters and mm-hmm. remixed with um, other things. And this did that same thing, but like they didn't even remix it. It's the exact same plot. With they didn't reload it. <laughs> Is that what you're saying, Clint? <laughs> They didn't revolve it back around. <laughs> they didn't resurrect it properly for you. Oh, yeah. There's no, <laughs> no getting this thing out of the grave where I would be happy. Like, it, it's just, yeah, it's dead on arrival and wandering around in the streets. But, I, yeah, I didn't enjoy it at all. I remember at one point I was like, okay, shut off your expectation brain and just take this as a matrix sequel to the to the two films that you know you didn't like maybe there's something here to enjoy and you know what this this did not even feel like the matrix i no. was really disappointed visually yeah, it was, in mm-hmm. the the editing uh something that i loved about especially the original matrix is they would just pull the camera back and let a fight unfold mm-hmm. this was modern hollywood Cut, edit, cut, edit, cut, edit. You go to swing a punch, edit, punch connects, edit, withdrawal of punch, next move. And it's three edits per move. And it really lost that feeling of, uh, especially with Keanu Reeves lately, uh, it lost that feeling of I'm watching the actor highly trained do these things. And that was really disappointing. Uh, and, and then there's – if you go back and watch the original Matrix, there's a – I won't. Uh, the original one? <laughs> I'm so turned off by it at this oh, point. Oh, no. The first one's still really legitimately good film. I will at some point. But, like, after watching this, okay. I just – there's, 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 the, there's a graininess and a texture to yeah. it that, that makes it feel um, – it real in the midst of its virtual world, and this is so glossy. Mm-hmm. This is hyper glossy and hyper colorful, and it just it it's, it a lot of times felt like a cartoon to me. It just 
Oh, yeah, because it, nothing was moving correctly. No. And and the CG, honestly, like it's good CG, but as far as how it blended in uh, to, you know, the, the practical shots, mm-hmm. uh, those little uh, friendly, uh, I thought those little friendly robots were going to break out in Disney song at some point. Yeah. They yeah. really feel like, it, it feels like a Disney movie where here's our cute little robot companions. Or Star Wars. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That kind of, it just... I don't know. It, it it definitely didn't work for me. I don't want to keep harping about it. I, I honestly, I I liked it so little. I I don't even like talking about it. <laughs> it. Just I was I was just kind of surprised that it that it was as as bad for me as it was. What are people saying to defend it? Uh, they're talking a lot about its ideas and its philosophy and the way it comments on on uh, modern uh, uh, social networking culture. And and how it talks about how we're all locked into these different uh, I don't know. Couldn't you say that about the originals though? Sure. Because all I feel like sure. every aspect of it that that is on that level is just things that they're repeating from the other films. This one was updated in ways that I couldn't understand how it worked. I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out, okay, if they don't need phone lines anymore to go in and out of the matrix, like they don't have to pick up a phone yeah. in the simulation to get dialed out. What are the rules to that? Because they would just be running through doors and in different locations and saying they couldn't get out. And then they would get to a random location like, oh, now we can pull you out. Well, like, Is why? it like a Wi-Fi connection I, thing? I don't like know. Like the Wi-Fi then, wasn't strong enough so they can't I guess pull. it's Netgear. It's like a little cheap $40 <laughs> Best Buy Netgear router because I, I just I couldn't follow. I didn't understand the rules of this new Matrix. I didn't understand why. Uh, you know the the main villain, I guess, could somehow move faster. It's no secret Agent Smith is back. I didn't understand what they were doing with him. One minute he's with them, one minute he's I against them. I completely got and lost I with that. I could not understand his motivations or why he was with them when he was with them or against them when yep. he was against them. I agree. Uh, it was just it, narratively, I couldn't follow it. Well, and they were doing things. I feel like just. Maybe for the sake of having an actor in there longer, like with the um, like the nanotech robot, Morpheus thing. Mor- yeah, yeah, Morpheus thing, where like he, then he could be in the um, the real world, yeah. and so that stuff bothered me because it just yeah. seemed like it was made as a device just so yeah. that character could be around more, yeah. and it just didn't in which make case, sense. Just write it differently, yeah. Uh, and and it's one thing if you have tech that you're commenting on or you see tech going in that direction. But I promise you, nowhere on this planet, I I can say with confidence, is somebody working on nanotech that allows AI to form itself into a physical form so it can talk to you. Or cute robots. It just, yeah. (laughs) It it just, ugh. Anyway. Yeah. Didn't enjoy it. Uh, The other thing, and I am looking forward to getting you to see this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to the theater and saw Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay. And I will hype this one up because <laughs> this movie was, I think, uh, exactly what what uh, what you want Marvel to be. It's definitely what I want Marvel to be, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm anxious to get your take on it because I just thought it was far and away uh, one of one of the best superhero movies I've seen. Really? Yeah. Like the yeah. one of the best superhero movies. Yeah, possibly the best. It was really. I I know. I hear I hear the crack in your voice. I know what you're thinking. Um this movie does so much 
hmm. uh, and and somehow balances all. Now I'm not saying you're going to have that yeah. experience because I didn't generally like the second one that much. Like no. I thought it was okay. And and yeah, I'm I can see that yeah. this this is operating at a whole other level and doing something completely different. And I'm not saying it's a perfect film. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. As, as far as a movie that takes the medium of comic books and transfers it to the screen, this one this one does something I don't think other comic book films have done yet. And uh, I think it does it in a really emotional, impactful way. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's juggling movie universes and it's juggling comic books and it's juggling all these different things and somehow lands them all. So I'm actually really excited for you to see this thing. Um, but I, I think you need to see it with me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I can, so I can like nudge you and be like, here comes Clint. Here comes. Look at this Clint. Look Clint. <laughs> My brother really enjoyed it too. Yeah. I was, it, yeah. I was really surprised because I am not a fan of the Tobey Maguire films. Yeah. And I'm not a, a fan of the Andrew Garfield films. And so the idea of, well, I do like the first Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I see why people have problems with it, but I do like that. And I, I kind of like Spider-Man 2, the one with Doc Ock. Um, but I, I was not excited at all at the idea of these villains being pulled in from the multiverse, mm-hmm. from these other movie universes. Because uh, I just thought it would be, uh, you know, a, a Resurrections dumpster fire. <laughs> Man, they made it work for me. And so, and I was, I was probably for a solid hour of the film, I'm cautiously optimistic. For yeah. about an hour, I'm like, okay, is this going to work? Because it's kind of working for me, but I don't know yet. And then it hits the middle section, and it's just like, oh, you genius! And then it just barrels through to the end. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was just, you know, me, I cried at the drop of a hat, but I was bawling in this mm-hmm. thing. I was like, it was pathetic, Clint, but. It sounds awful, Ken. I can tell you right now, you're not going to cry. No, but in general, uh, I don't do I that. I do think that you will enjoy this film. Okay. Well, I'm excited to see how disappointed I'll be. I'm excited to get some <laughs> popcorn and sit next to you and just say, look, look, oh, this is Jamie Fox, Clint. It's Jamie Fox. You know you like Jamie Fox. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the only other thing of of note that I've watched is Adrian. Have you heard of this uh, this documentary? No. So Adrian is about um, the director of Waitress. Oh, okay. Uh, and our friend yeah. John worked on Waitress yeah. early in his in his career, and right as it was debuting at Sundance, she was kind of tragically murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, this just fluke thing in in her apartment building. This is her husband um, putting together uh, with with the help of. of I forget who the filmmakers are, but they're putting together this documentary about her life and career. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, kind of interlaced through all of that is the story of her her murder mm-hmm. and what followed after and, and the trial and the incarceration. And this all leads up to the husband uh, after, you know, however many years this has been going into prison because he just wants to finally talk to mm. the guy who killed his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I, I thought, an incredible documentary. It just really... Um, I, there was something about the structure of it, the story of it, everything about it, uh, because it, it had kind of a, a filmmaking documentary vibe. It had a true crime vibe. It had mm. a, a emotional family quest kind of vibe uh, for closure. And and at no point do you feel like it's manufactured. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yes, it's leading up to this confrontation, if you want to call that. But it's not a film about forgiveness. It's not a film about something that's going to make you think like, oh, yeah, it's it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sad. Um, but I, I highly recommend it. It was really good. 
Uh, it reminded me a lot of the Val documentary. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's it's dealing with something very different. Yeah. But it it had that kind of honest, reflective quality mm-hmm. that Val did, and um, I just I really enjoyed it. I checked with John. I was like, "Have you have you seen this yet?" And he's like, "Oof, no, it's going to be tough. He's going to, but." Mm-hmm. Um, he was looking forward to it as well, but you should you should check it out. Yeah, I, once you started talking about it, I was like, oh, I have seen the yeah. trailer for that. Um, yeah. I was interested. I I think I had a hard time because I, I don't not super familiar with her, mm-hmm. so I was afraid it was going to be kind of voyeuristic of me to watch it. In yeah, way, I know? wasn't familiar with her either or her movies other yeah. than Waitress, and I, it doesn't feel that way yeah. at all. It, um, Not that they made it that way, but just no. like the act of me watching it because, you know, sometimes I feel like that way with around somebody's murder or mm-hmm. like true crime stuff. I've had a weird relationship with very lately. I just started feeling very weird about it. Okay. So I'm interested in it. This sure. one is much more about they're, they're really working to paint this picture of this um, really talented uh, kind free spirit yeah. that was somebody that was very different on the Hollywood scene mm-hmm. and was different as a filmmaker and was after different things and just how that was sort of snuffed out. And and they don't go into the snuffing out part. It's more the sadness of kind of what would have been, what would have happened if this person had lived yeah. and had continued to have a career. Right. Um, because what she was what she was doing was was sweet and authentic. In the middle of you know, yeah, yeah, doggy dog Hollywood, uh-huh. and so it it takes more of that angle. It it doesn't feel voyeuristic. It feels much more um, celebrating a person's life too. And yes, yeah. definitely that. I, I think the closest it gets to voyeuristic is that the tension you feel when he's going to the prison yeah. at the end and he's going to sit down with this guy. Um, but even that, I was I was really pleased. Just watching uh, how they handled that interaction, mm-hmm. and it was interesting, obviously, to see what happened. But it didn't feel voyeuristic. It just felt, again, it was sad. Yeah. On one side of the table, you've got this guy who lost his wife, and he's still devastated by it. Yeah. And he he just wants to understand why whatever happened led to murder. Mm-hmm. And the guy across the table is so clearly just in full remorse mode. Yeah. And neither of them know what's what to say to each other. And it's it's um it's just sad. Hmm. But it's but it's really well done. Uh and, and worth watching. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. That's that's kind of all I've been watching. Uh we started into Discovery, but uh-huh. I'm only I think an episode maybe yeah, an episode, two episodes okay. into that. So um excited about that. I think the only thing I've noticed is there's something about things that were made in 2020 and early 2021 where you can feel when they're working within the parameters of yeah, yeah. having to have act- actors separated for sure or smaller crews yep. or it it really changes the feel yeah. at one point uh my son even said that this episode it was the first episode like this feels different there's something about this and i had already picked up on it and i said yeah it's because they're shooting all of this with just clumps of actors, smaller crews, and so you can 
you know, if you know what to look for, you can see that they're navigating these challenges, but still trying to make a show. Yeah, you can tell they're they're kind of standing farther apart and stuff. (laughs) It's strange. Yeah. And I I wonder if that'll even pick up years from now, other than just, you know, oh, that that season starts off a little rockier than others. Can't put my finger on why. Yeah. Yeah, because they're compositing all these poor people together (laughs) that aren't actually in the same room. So, but it's it's good. It's discovery. And I I love new Star Trek. I I think I might be an episode or two behind um i've watched like three or four of them but yeah i'm enjoying it all right uh this week i have off so i'm really i'm just going to start tearing through some stuff that that i haven't seen yeah uh well this week in episode 45 we have three films to talk about we have wes anderson's the french dispatch we have spencer and we have a film called burning and i noticed when searching for burning Mm -hmm. there's like eight films called burning (laughs) and thankfully this was a korean film so i at least was able to quickly track down i didn't have to sit through a a documentary about the Amazon rainforest right. before I realized <laughs> there's no Koreans in this movie. Why did Clint What's really be, uh, why did he love this movie about the rainforest? <laughs> yeah. So let's start with Wes Anderson's latest, The French Dispatch, uh, which the synopsis says is a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in The French Dispatch. Uh, this is about this, this little magazine mm-hmm. uh, publisher who essentially you get kind of a, a picture of what's going on in their lives or in the office and who the characters are and who the writers are. And then it moves through three rather long uh, kind of anthology style segments where you get three of these stories brought to life. Yeah, Clint, uh, this stars, as far as I can tell, everybody plus Christoph Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of The French Dispatch? Well, we got Timothy Chalamet and Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray. You got, yeah, Benicio. All the Wes Francis Anderson McDormand. players. Yep. All of them. Adam, Adrian Brody, Owen all Wilson. Them. All of them. Everyone. Yeah. Literally. He must ring a bell yeah. uh, in Avengers they Assemble have, style. Just everybody comes running. They have the Wes phone in their house and it rings. It's just his <laughs> phone number that comes through. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm convinced 10 phone. years from now that whatever his his latest movie is, is not going to have a single extra. It's He could do <laughs> Ben-Hur and have 10,000 people charging at each other and all of them on chariots. And it would be Francis McDormand level actors because he just, he collects celebrities. I know because like Elizabeth Moss, like Moss has like barely anything She's to do. But she's for like a minute and a yeah. half and a, she's just a scene like, to cry and then be yelled at. That's yeah. it. Or right and right on a chalkboard and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, he's just gonna have the A list of actors just doing whatever he needs. I love that I'm there for it, but yeah. you know, hey, whatever. What'd you would you what'd you think of everything other than the casting? I wanna make sure you don't want me to do like a three minute intro song for this one. No. Okay. No, I loved the three minute <laughs> intro song. I laughed. And laughed and laughed. Uh, I just, I, I so enjoyed. I made that for the pure experience of making you laugh. I love that's that. all. I don't I care if that. anybody else was I annoyed. Don't I don't care. Annoyed by my three-minute song. I hope people were like, is this, how long is this song? <laughs> this is still going. How is this, yeah, what's happening here? <laughs> Fully in on did that. Did this podcast switch over to something else all of a sudden? Like, <laughs> I really, you did, it, it did hit a point where it's just like Clint is laughing maniacally yeah. right now. <laughs> I think it was the Cody Smith, Cody Smith, Cody Smith, McPee. <laughs> that was where I was just like, Clint's having a blast. Back to Wes Anderson. Yes, enough, enough of your distractions here. 
Well, this is one of those where it kind of got lost in the shuffle of COVID, and like mm-hmm. it's supposed to come out like three oh, it's years been ago. <laughs> yeah, over and over and over. So, uh, and I am a big Wes Anderson fan, so I was really looking forward to this. And I don't know if I had so much like this movie. I had a lot of expectations from ju- for really? just just because it's Wes Anderson. I love Wes Anderson movies. So going in, I was um, so looking forward to it, and I was um, really into it about after the first story. The, and then the, the Benicio del Toro mm-hmm. or the yep. uh, Owen Wilson one? Well, the first main story. Okay. So, yeah, the painter with Benicio mm-hmm. in the jail. Um, but I, by the end of it, I was really disappointed by it. And so much, like, it kind of has bothered me. So this morning I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. And um, this time around, I enjoyed it much more. Okay. Um, what was it that that changed there? Because I had a very similar experience where I was really into this movie. And it was almost like a disconnect happened when they roll into the second short story. That's exactly With the, what— the Timothy Chalamet— yep. Exactly, uh, resistance story. Exactly what happened to me. Okay. I I just wasn't interested in those stories, and there was, mm-hmm. and I feel like this one. If if you've never seen a Wes Anderson movie, don't start here. No, goodness, because no. this is so concentrated. Yeah. and I love his style, but I was tired. Like I got to that like halfway through that story, and I was like, and I didn't say this to Jenny because she was really enjoying it, and didn't want to interrupt her. But I was like, I need a break. Yeah. Because it was so visually stimulating, overstimulating, and he was doing things with like subtitles where they're going up, and then they would mm-hmm. switch directions, and I was getting lost in the story because I couldn't follow it. And, and I think coming out of the first story, which is much more is quieter and paced, I think it's the best paced out of the three. It's less aggressive. It yeah. feels like a short story to me. Yeah. The second installment and the third installment felt like full films that he had condensed into yeah. 20 minutes. And in that that condensing, it was a lot yeah. of, of, you know, that Wes Anderson quirkiness yep. shoved down into a, a little story chunk. Yep. And it's in so visually overwhelming yeah. that you can't, I was having a hard time just paying attention to what was happening. Um, and then I felt the same way with the third story. Yeah. And I was just worn down and uh, and I was expecting much more of a through line. So I think mm-hmm. the first time I was looking for that and there really isn't. No. Um, but the second time watching it, Knowing that all that going in, I I was able to pay attention more to the story, kind mm-hmm. of like block out um, the visuals in a way, and also enjoy them more too because I kind of knew where I needed to pay attention to the story and where I could enjoy the visuals. Mm-hmm. So this time I did enjoy the second and third story more. Um, so... And I could kind of gather a through line a little bit better, mm-hmm. just maybe just character wise. Like, not there's not a strict story arc that goes through, but it's more character based and like emotionally based uh, storyline. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I I liked it. Okay. So, what do you think? <laughs> I have I have two main thoughts. Okay. I I liked it fine. Yeah. It's it's not bad. I th- I think no. even the the worst of Wes Anderson uh, is is still good. Yeah, 
Um, he's he's a very competent, confident filmmaker. Yeah. And he knows what he's going after. And even if it's not working for you, this movie was not working for me. Yeah. I could still tell it's a well-made, uh, executed film. Mm-hmm. It's just not executed in the way that's going to work for me. Yeah. Uh, my two thoughts. The first one, I – actually, maybe three thoughts. My first no, one – Only two. Sorry. No, no. Only I'm, time for two. Don't make me use a lot of commas. <laughs> Three thoughts. The first one is I realized from this these the, the majority of these three central stories are shot in black and white. Yep. And I realized how easy it is to get lost in Wes Anderson's style without color. Mm-hmm. Color, I don't think – I had registered before how he uses color. Yeah. But I had not registered before how much that allows you to navigate his stories. Yeah. And, and because his – when I when I was looking at this, I'm like, there's nothing visually denser about this than any of his other films. His films are always packed yep. foreground to background with elements and details and all these things. Can I say one thing sure. about that, though? Sure. But he lets moments of rest for it, yes. the camera to stop and you enjoy it. Yeah. This didn't have time to do that. Yeah. So continue. Yeah, for sure. And, and so between the... Uh, the the speed at which some of these stories were unfolding yeah. and the lack of color, it it was harder, I think, for my brain to delineate mm-hmm. everything that's usually going on. There was still the same density of, yeah. of information in the image, but I didn't have the tools I needed. And that may sound super weird to somebody who hasn't watched this movie. Like, what are you talking about? If you watch the movie and you know Wes Anderson, I think even if you don't agree with me, you'll know exactly what I'm talking right. about. And yeah. I think that's what makes that first story different. The, the first installment, not only is it uh, a smaller story mm-hmm. with fewer characters and a simpler tale to tell, it, it does so in a way where you're in a prison and so the, the environment itself is fairly bleak and it doesn't have that same density of image that the others do. Mm-hmm. And it's not rocketing from location to location, character to character. Mm-hmm. Really, you have at most three characters yep. in that prison drama, the guard, uh, the the art dealer, and and the artist. Yeah. Uh, whereas the others, they really start to, for me, spin out of control. And I think that's a really key element of a good short story. Mm-hmm. Like yes. just very concise and yes. you're um, not spreading yourself too thinly. Yeah. yeah. The second thought I have is kind of a theory. Mm-hmm. And this is it, it's more about what the film felt to me. I don't think this is actually what he set out to do, but but this is the best way I can explain how it felt. It felt like Wes Anderson over the course of his career has kind of jumped into different scripts and really started to build a movie out of them. And at some point, he just realized, I don't have enough here for a feature film. Mm -hmm. And those scripts kind of got put to the side. And it felt like one day he thought, ha-ha, what (laughs) if I have, uh, you know, this little story of this newspaper, Mm -hmm. and I can use some of these stories that I genuinely love, but they just don't have enough, and I'll put them in here. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, they're a little too big. So now I'm going (laughs) to condense them down. To fit yeah. into this new idea I have. That's that's what it felt like to me the whole time. It felt like a a manufactured way to deliver multiple stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think those stories were strong enough for that kind of format. I would have honestly probably loved this film if it was just about 
the magazine uh-huh. and the writers, and I love those characters. Yeah, this movie, I even felt a little bit of a slip in the first story with Benicio del Toro because I so loved the the opening, mm-hmm. and I loved even when it went to the Owen Wilson thing where he's just writing and going through the town. Yeah, it's probably my favorite part in the movie. I I love that, and I just I wanted more of those characters in that colorful world, and I wanted less of the stories they were writing. Yeah, um, I I honestly don't think they gave them enough no. that I, I really did I like them. I don't even know if I like because they didn't give them enough to do. Like they're just telling their stories. There's moments of where you kind of get a picture of them, but not enough where I felt really attached to them. And that's I just I like the dynamic of the office. I loved the the weird literary academic relationship between the writers and the staff and the head guy played by Bill Murray. I was having fun with that, and I was wanting that to be expanded. I thought at that point, I knew that there were three short stories, Mm -hmm. but at that point, I thought it's going to keep cutting out of the stories to these little editorial arguments where suddenly the story breaks uh, and you know now it's Bill Murray arguing with Frances McDormand about a sentence or what she was writing or or something like that. Um, I thought it, I thought there would be a lot more juggling there I based think, on the opening. Well, I, I think that would have maybe been distracting to the stories. Mm-hmm. I think if it was maybe the sections in between the stories mm-hmm. were um, more devoted towards the office life mm-hmm. and like you kind of got a, a larger picture of their lives in dynamic, mm-hmm. that would have worked. And like maybe made this film like another half hour, 45 minutes, maybe. that would have been fun. But, but at I, that I, point, I didn't think those stories were going to be so fully formed. Yeah, I thought the stories themselves were going to be so much simpler mm-hmm. that it was going to keep going back so that, you know, you didn't get lost in the story. The story was almost too simple for a long 20, 30-minute chunk. Yeah. Uh, the opposite of what we get here, which is such a long and dense series of stories that you can't cut away. There's no version of this movie where you can cut away no. without it being another half an hour, without it just being much more of a, a slog mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. Um so those those are kind of my two main thoughts. Like I said, I like the film. They're clearly having a good time. Um, Have you rewatched it? No. Try no. rewatching because I okay. honestly liked it much more the second time. Cool. And before, like this was my least favorite Wes Anderson yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but uh, this definitely is not that anymore. I think Moonrise Kingdom is still my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the second least favorite, but. I think another thing might have worked better for me was uh, I honestly really love that first story. Mm -hmm. I I think that was a great short story. I think it would have been better sandwiched in between the other two as kind of a moment Mm. because it's so much a pause. pause. Because those other two are so action-packed and kind of almost similar beats in the story Mm -hmm. because like – like the, the the revolution and like it's the them against the city hall and like the governor and like there's a war about to break out and then the other ones the police against these um, um, kidnappers and like a war is about about to break out they're very similar so it would have been nice to have this moment of pause mm-hmm. in between the two especially if the revolutionary story was first yes and then the prisoner story yeah. I- that might just that simple little structure change might have really worked for me because there's no like um, element in the movie where it is contingent on those the, no. the where they have to be in that order. No, not at all. Um, one thing also watching it again kind of helped me was uh, being able to pay attention to 
um, the characters a little bit more and not having to um, gather what was exactly happening the entire time because mm-hmm. I was so confused the first time. So this time I kind of gathered the, the there's a through line of loneliness throughout it. So like um, Belnicio in, in the painting one, he's lonely and he's stuck in jail. And then like in... Um, and they're saying different things about them. And then the, the revolution one, um, McDormand, she's like, they, they're they saying she should be lonely. Like she's like this, they're yeah. calling her a spinster and stuff. And like, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm not like she is, but like, she's not in the way that they she's think. She's content she, with it. Yeah. She's, she's she lives a, with it. Adjusted to it. Yeah. And then, um, in the third one, um, the writer, he's lonely, but because like he's in stuck in this time and he's, uh, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And so he can't, live the life that he wants to live because it's just not I acceptable. Hadn't even connected that. So when rewatching it, it like it had much more of a emotional through line for me that really helped. Okay. Um so hmm. yeah, it's 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 good. I, I I recommend definitely rewatching it if you have the chance. Okay. Um because yeah, I, I if if you're a fan of Wes Anderson, yeah. check this movie out. Yeah. I would not if if you have not previously been a fan of Wes Anderson, this is not the movie that's going to turn you. <laughs> no, this is going to turn. I mean, I'm a big fan, and it, like in it, I had a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, this is I, like going from atheist to Roman Catholic in the <laughs> Wes Anderson world. You're just you're diving right in. It's uh, a little much. I and I, something that I really kind of wish and miss in his style is. He always, it's always heightened and it's his mm-hmm. style, but I feel like some of the earlier ones up to like Darjeeling, it's still grounded in the real world mm-hmm. in a way. It's heightened, but it's grounded and there's yeah. real, feel like very real stakes to things. And now I feel like it's so stylized and so kind of stuck in his um, stop motion animation world, mm-hmm. but with real characters that it, it loses some of the impact a little bit. And yeah, I've I've noticed that recently on my rewatches of Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums, there are always moments in those films where he switches uh, to um, Steadicam, yeah, and it just suddenly starts moving. And this those are the moments too. where chaos is increasing, yeah. and so that filmmaking precision yeah. has to decrease. And he does it intentionally yeah. to give you that feeling, but it reminds you that as storybook as these characters are or want to be, mm-hmm. they're still in this world that catches up with them and becomes realer uh, when when they're not as well put together. That, and I haven't connected that he hasn't done that recently. And that's what I think always works for me really well with Westerners when he does that, where mm-hmm. it's, it's very controlled, but... There's elements that he can't control, yeah. like, and he he plays like he's like knows that like life can't completely be controlled yeah. in the way that he's doing it, and and I love that clash, and he tried it in this one. He does do moments of steady cam. Mm-hmm. You kind of lose it a little bit because it's black and white at the time, yeah. Yeah. but I, I I miss that being uh, such a feature. Um, yeah. But hmm. I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. So you know, check it out. Um, our next film is Spencer, uh, which is from Pablo Lorraine, and this is the filmmaker that did Jackie yep. with Natalie Portman, and uh, this stars um, Kristen Stewart, mm-hmm. who is now, I guess, trying to pull off the same thing Robert Pattinson pulled off with me, 
of making me respect her as an actress. She's done really good stuff. She's done really good yeah. stuff. And these poor kids get really pegged for Twilight. Yeah. These two actors are operating on a whole other level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I hope that they continue to get those kind of projects and just distance themselves from that, that early um, whatever you want to call that, because uh, they they do some really interesting stuff. But Spencer, I, I was I was taken from it by from the beginning because it opens instead of based on a true story, it says a fable uh-huh. based on a true story. Yeah. So instantly it sets in your mind. This is not some sort of retelling. This is not so, some uh, sort historically of historically accurate. It's not meant to be accurate. This is going to use these characters and and some of these elements of truth to teach a moral lesson or to it, ponder things, uh, you know, common to the human experience, whatever it's wanting to do. And delve into like the emotional yes, it's, like, it's, truth of it rather than maybe a historical yeah, it's, truth. It's almost like this is a fairy tale. Yeah. Yes, based on real people, but but this is something else. Um, and it, it basically opens uh, when the marriage between Princess Diana and Prince Charles has grown cold. Uh, mm-hmm. It's heavily alluded to. He's he's cheated on her, and she's noticed that that he's gifted this. Uh, is it Fergie? Uh, yes, this yeah. this pearl necklace to his mistress. It's the same one that he's given Diana, played mm-hmm. by Kristen Stewart. And they're at a, a Christmas kind of holiday gathering with the Queen. And this takes place over maybe what three days. Three days. Yeah. And she just slowly unravels um because she cannot uh settle with the idea that uh one, this is all falling apart and it's not what she expected, that he's cheating on her. And there's something about this pearl necklace that really has latched in her mind as being a slap in the face where he gave the same gift to her that he gave to me. And it's just it's it's this little holiday gathering and her trying to hold it together as a a mother, a princess, a wife, all these things. As a being the human she wants to be, yeah. as being a person. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's really putting into conflict who she is versus who she thought she was going to be as a princess versus who she actually is versus all the constraints put on her. Clint, uh, what did you think of Spencer? I love this movie. I, this movie might be my favorite movie of the year. Wow. Like, really? honestly, like, wow. because this does so much with a story that on face value that, like, I generally probably wouldn't be that interested yeah. in. It plays with so many elements, like the fairy tale aspect of it. Like, I got like Clockwork Orange feel, not Clockwork, um, um, Shining. Like, okay, I was saying, what? sorry, <laughs> a shining feel. Yeah, like this yeah, has a sure. shining undertone sure. to it. Like it's like, I mean, I, I I didn't realize it at the time, but it's another Johnny Greenwood score mm-hmm. uh, after Power of the Dog, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, I forgot he did this, and because I was loving the music, love the score. The in score this. is fantastic. Mm. I mean, she's fantastic as mm-hmm. Diana. Um, I just loved like how they played with her relationship with the the royal family and like how they wouldn't show them. Yeah, like they were just like kind of these cold and these cold and, ghosts in the background, yeah. and it was so focused on her. And I, I love the elements of um, Anne Boleyn. Is that correct? Yep. Um, how she's like comparing her life to her and what happened to her, the history of her life, and that subtle element throughout it. Um, which really, anytime you're dealing with the history of characters that long ago, you're also essentially dealing with a fable based on a true story because you know that you're not getting the real raw history. You're getting a a history book, storybook version of 
right. you know, something. And, and, and that really was interesting to me. It really plays with that too. Yeah. And I just, in the element of like, not that she's like trying to, it's not going the way she thought it would be as far as a princess, mm -hmm. but as just like a human, like yeah. she, like how she sees herself, and like she she refuses to give up that element of her life, and she just cannot imagine it doing it, and so she's just like her head against the wall, like th that she cannot, she's not refusing. And the proximity to her childhood home, yeah, and that scarecrow, oh, and yeah. the jacket from the scarecrow, and there are these elements of how much she's wrestling between what was and what is, mm -hmm. and how she's at a place in her life where. This is not what she dreamed of as a little girl. Mm -hmm. This is this is a much more complicated and difficult scenario. And she's in this loveless marriage, but she has children that she loves dearly. And I loved when this movie would bounce between those relationships. Yep. The difference between her in that billiards room yep. with Charles mm -hmm. versus her uh, at night just talking to the boys. Because yep. um, I just honestly... Not to be cold, but I, I could really care less about Diana. Mm -hmm. I could really care less about the royal family. Yeah. This stuff does not interest me at all. Mm -hmm. And this movie found a way to really just uh, just pull me into all that. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised to hear you say movie of the year. This is definitely going to be in my top 10. Um, but uh, but at the same time, I am surprised that it vaulted that high. <laughs> Maybe it might not. I mean, I gotta go. No, but no, no, like, don't don't second guess. Don't let me second. I guess. have to go through the list of movies yeah. from this year. But like, I had such a like emotional response to mm. this film. Like, unlike some of the movies that I really like this year, yeah. where like I really felt a connection to her performance, and like it was such a great mix of out of characteristic like elements that you wouldn't expect from a movie like this. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite storylines was was probably the most unexpected for me, which was this this character of the the woman who helps dress her. Sally Hawkins. Uh, yes. Maggie. I yeah. loved that storyline mm -hmm. and it goes in directions I did not expect, but it does so in such a I don't even know what the word is. It was really disarming and and it really caught me off guard. And at, at one point, there's a scene where they're on this beach, her and, and this woman, and they're all alone. And she's asking her, did you say this thing behind my back? Mm -hmm. And her answer to that was one of the most beautiful scenes, I think, uh, in in film this year. Mm -hmm. I loved that scene and what followed it and the way the actresses played it and and how that relationship developed. I thought that was such an important element that in her relationship with the boys. Yeah. I think is is essentially what's keeping her alive. Yeah. Keeping her sane. I just oh I love that. And um, this has a like green night moment in yeah. this. Yeah, it really does. Th that completely caught me off guard mm -hmm. and like I was so into the movie, but yeah. that love like just leveled it up. Yeah, and it just <laughs> it was so good. And uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is like this is the best looking movie oh, I, goodness, I've seen yes. in so long. It's I, it's yeah, it's gorgeous. so it's so textured. Mm -hmm. Like I love like the sixteen millimeter look of it. It it feels appropriate for the time, but also kind of out of time. It's it has so cool. it has a, a slight desaturation to yeah. it. But kind of a glow, kind of a golden, mm -hmm. especially on the interiors. Yeah. 
in that I was I was noticing because I've watched this now twice. I need to watch it and, again. Oh, the second time. <laughs> uh, the second time I was really wrapped up in the music and the cinematography, mm-hmm. and, and what I was noticing. I mean, it was obvious the first time through. The music really has three distinct yep. kind of tones and modes where it there's like a jazzy, loungy kind of thing. Yep. There's a like very a baroque, like uh, uh, just classical. Yes, like, a driving yeah. classical score. There's there are these different elements. Visually is the same thing. Yep. There are these moments of just really rich, sumptuous colors and lighting and all of this. Other times where it's very natural lighting mm-hmm. and other times where it's overly desaturated and overly cold. Uh, and all of these things, of course, marry right together with what's yep. happening with her. And you're getting... I think not just this story of her, but the, the movie is always with her mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, the only time it moves away from her is when you're getting elements that will enhance what will later you know, come into play, like with the chef. Yeah. I think early on you see a lot of him without her, but then you realize that's because of what he's going to mean to her. And it's it's interesting that that she's in this, this environment where there are all of these people that just see her as an object, but then there are these people like the chef, uh, like her assistant, uh, that have genuine affection for her, and they want to protect her, and they don't want to see her go through the things she's going through. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the character um, by uh, Timothy Spall, mm-hmm. who's like the uh, military, like yep. that he's wandering around, kind of keeping an eye on her. And you're not really quite sure of his like motivation or like. He seems what, like the antagonist or one of it. Yeah, first. but by the end, you kind of realize he's in her corner in yep. a way, and like, but just doing it in a different way, and um, is looking out for her, but. In in a way that she doesn't quite understand, and in the same way we don't understand yeah. until it gets to a certain point. And I really like that he kind of had that's one of the elements of where I'm saying like the shining feel, mm-hmm. where he kind of feels like the past caretaker, yeah, or, or something like you know what he I mean. He just sort of appears, yeah, and he always feels like it, he he knows things, yeah, and and he's he's speaking directly to whatever psychological experience she's going through, even mm-hmm. before she realizes he's seeing, he's essentially watching the movie. He sees yeah. exactly what's happening in her mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially when this movie, like you mentioned, I mean, it. there are moments you don't know what to believe or what to trust about what you're seeing yep. because something will happen and then it didn't happen. Yeah. And, and that kind of builds. At first it's smaller elements, but then it really... Uh, green knights the whole thing and it, it comes into a place where it's not important to the plot like it was in green knight right but it's important to her character and her mental state well i mean it is in a way like because in that moment i mean her if like her life could have i mean ended and that would have been a different story yeah. completely um yeah. so it, it does play a big role but it's it's not real in the way that it is in the green knight yeah. um but yeah. I thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I, this is an excellent film. It is a slow burn film, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's it's not uh, heavy on narrative. It's not heavy on plot or, uh, you know, things that happen. But it was just, it was a fascinating glimpse into somebody's um, kind of just, just the place they are mentally and emotionally. And 
it's different than Jackie, but at the same time, it's kind of a companion piece to Jackie sure. because Jackie did the same thing. Yeah. In a different way. It was much more about a very specific event. Right. The, a it's very, a very horrifying real-life yes. event, and this is yeah. more of a psychological um yeah. But you can feel where this is the next logical step. Yeah. The first one was much more about how how does a woman in power who has to be things that she's not uh, handle a crisis, a very mm-hmm. real crisis. And you got to see shades of what she's going through mentally or emotionally. This is pure mental and emotional. There's nothing she can do about this. There's nothing she can do to to change the course of of whatever's happening. It's just this is her mind and she's got to either succumb to it or overcome her own whatever it is that she's got herself kind of walled up inside of emotionally. Yeah. Well, and also it's interesting, like when you hear things about, you know, um, is Harry and uh, Meghan Markle leaving and how they wouldn't allow her to get like psychological help and stuff. And like, I was thinking about that during it. Like yeah, I was how, too. how, like how, if she, like maybe this is based on some truth in some way, like she did, Diana like had issues in this way and like thinking like maybe they were like not allowing her to get the help she needed yep. and stuff. And um, yeah. So that, well, and especially in that time, it would have been much. Oh, for sure, yeah. More difficult for mm-hmm. her to to kind of pursue what she actually needed. Um, so yeah, it just hundred uh, percent recommend this movie. It was it was something different and special, and and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, even if you're not interested in the royal family in Which any way, or not. Diana, like I'm not, and yeah. uh, but it's just so well done and uh, captivating. It's so cool. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Definitely. Well, our third film is Burning, and Burning was our Cinetron pick. Mm-hmm. And um, Cinetron, I, I, I think, uh, I think you've already alluded to what you thought of this film. Uh, <laughs> Cinetron, I think, did us right. Yeah. Um, this is from director Lee Cheng Dong, and it is again, uh, much like Spencer, a very different film than I was expecting. Uh-huh. I watched no trailers. I read no plot oh, synopses. Uh, for this film, mm-hmm. no clue what it was. Yeah, and even for the first hour, I was just trying to figure out what am I even watching. <laughs> uh, it's it's about this introverted, uh, you know, kind of boy next door, kind of dopey, mm-hmm. and he falls for this girl that he's known since childhood, and they have a an interesting relationship. But he's supposed to watch her cat while she goes to Africa. Um, mm-hmm. For a trip. When she returns, she is joined by this guy, Ben. Mm-hmm. And Ben is played by Stephen Young. Um, Walking uh, Dead fame. Star of The Walking Dead, who you would never know is quite the accomplished uh, Korean language film actor mm-hmm. when he wants to be, but 100% is. I would have never known, like, oh, it's The Walking Dead guy. Um, but uh, she she brings this guy, Ben, home. He lives in the area. They connected in Africa, and they have an, an interesting relationship. And you know, our, our poor sappy introverted hero uh, is you know, trying to deal with jealousy and who's this Ben guy and and what does this mean for my relationship? And in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene where uh, they're at Ben's, and uh, and our our nice nice just unassuming little boy uh, goes to the bathroom. And opens a drawer, and anybody who's seen any movies in their life knows exactly what that drawer means <laughs> and suddenly knows exactly what the plot of this film is. 
And uh, I'm still putting together my thoughts because I just watched this last night. Clint, yeah. what do you think of Burning? Well, this is my second time watching it. Mm-hmm. I um, I watched it maybe a year or two ago. I was super interested in it. I thought the trailer looked great. But it's based on a story by Haruka Murakami. The um, Barn Burn. The Barn Burn. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite um, writers. I love oh, okay. him. He is, And all of his work is very similar to this. It's based in kind of very unassuming characters, but mm-hmm. there's always some kind of magical realism or kind of bigger events happening around it, but very, um, like, unassuming like character is at the center of it mm-hmm. and uh, it feels it always makes it feel very real so and, just somebody stumbling into something bigger than them yeah and but they're reacting in very real ways mm-hmm. and 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 uh, I, I love his writing it's fantastic mm-hmm. um but he based this story on another story by William Faulkner by the same name but so that was kind of my end to why I wanted to watch this movie. But the first time I really loved it. Um, I just love that it's it's so kind of the same way the power of the dog or um, Spencer. It's very subtle, slow burn. Everything of, means something. Everything means something. But it was really exciting rewatching it and mm-hmm. kind of piecing it together in a different way and having different thoughts about like what actually is happening mm-hmm. and is are we getting told the truth by this character. Um, is like what is real? Like there's things because he's a writer. He was mm-hmm. an aspiring writer. So is this? They act- keep referencing that too. Yeah. Have you figured out your story yet? Have you figured out your story? Yeah. So it's like, is this just part of his story at this point, and it's in his imagination, or is this truly what's happening? And it just inspires what he writes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I I loved it. So what did you think? Very subtle. I loved it Yeah. Uh, by the end. I had no idea. I I was not bored, but I could tell I was watching mundane for mundane's sake. Mm -hmm. And so I knew it was building to something. Yeah. I just didn't know what it was building towards. And so I just sort of let go and let myself like these characters, Mm -hmm. even though somewhere deep inside I had the feeling that I'm going to regret (laughs) attaching myself to these characters. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, yeah, uh, um, because again, at, at the the halfway point, this becomes a different film, and it's not a different film. It doesn't feel tonally different. No, no. It's it's exactly what you said. This I, I would love to read that original story mm-hmm. because based on what you said about the author's work, this has got to be at least to the tone of the work extremely faithful because that's that's exactly what I came away with. Here is this guy that is so unassuming and almost bumbling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you would not be um, a bad person for assuming he's kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Ben does. Ben assumes for sure that uh, that he's he's kind of dumb. You can see that Ben feels superior to uh, what's what's the main character's name? I keep forgetting it. Um, but you can tell that, that Ben feels uh, superior to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not. He's he's not somebody that's impulsive or that acts. He he is somebody that thinks. And just like you would expect from a character that's a writer, he he just bottles a lot inside and he has to process a lot. And a lot of this film is is just watching. Uh, him process whatever's happening, even if it's early on and he can't find the stupid cat. Mm -hmm. And is the cat a lie or is the cat true? And, uh, you know, moments like that, it's really playing with the idea of unreliable narrator. Yeah. And from three different characters, Mm -hmm. because you have him as the writer, 
He's unreliable. You have her who is you know kind notorious of for lying and telling stories, yeah. and she's flighty, and so you don't know what to trust about what she's saying. You know, mm. a huge chunk of this movie is just about you know was there a well near her house growing up? Yeah. That becomes a significant plot point. Can she be trusted? Mm-hmm. And Ben certainly, you know, who is this guy? He even compares him to Great Gatsby at one point. Yep. And says, uh, you know, young and rich, but mysterious. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you supposed to do with that? And how do you how do you trust somebody like that? And so you have these three characters that are just completely unreliable in this very subtle story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's playing with like kind of class and like this, mm-hmm. like uh, Lee. He is like born to this family who have this farm and they're they're not well off her mo- mother disappeared and his father's <laughs> about to go to prison for getting in like beating up this um like social worker or something <laughs> and then ben is like this rich kid and he can do whatever he wants and just go around the world and get away with anything and it's just about that kind of um like the clash between the two and and lee's lives out on the mm-hmm. side like basically almost on the border between north korea yeah you can hear the, the this, yeah the, voice. the north korean propaganda yeah. towers in the distance so it's just like kind of this divide between their worlds and um how they are kind of pit against each other in this way and and they draw attention to it because even when uh ben comes to visit uh, where where Lee's house is, he hears the broadcast in the distance. He's like, "What's that?" Yeah, which is just a punctuation of "You've never been this anywhere far, this yeah. far out. Mm-hmm. You are in your comfortable little world." And that's even been when he invites. And there's two or three scenes where he invites them into his world, mm-hmm. and it's almost like he's parading around the cute little poor people for his friends, right? And he's getting amusement, and his friends are getting amusement out of out of almost like they've gone to a zoo mm-hmm. and, oh, look at this little lower class person talking about, uh, you know, something they experienced in Africa or experiencing this or that. And, mm-hmm. and there's just a, an amusement and then finally a boredom yeah. uh, that that ultimately leads to, you know, kind of the 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 burning of the the title. Yeah. Um, I loved, loved the greenhouse conversation. I know. That I whole scene loved, where her dancing is yep. so good. I I could feel exactly what it was doing in that moment. Uh, it was still being subtle, but it was not hiding its hand. Yeah, that was one of those moments where oh, I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, and I dreaded it, but I knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then it went back into kind of mystery mode. Okay, well, well, how are our characters going to react to this? And um, I even loved how it, it usually drives me nuts anytime there's scenes in a movie of somebody following somebody in a car. Because I'm always like, how do you not know that you are being followed right now? Uh, and and they even they handle that really well because yeah. I had that same thought at first, like, come on. <laughs> um, but of, of course, you know somebody's following you. Yeah, you know, you know the person's following you. They got exactly. this rickety old white truck. You're driving a Porsche. You know the rickety old white truck is yeah, following yeah. you. Uh, and You've so, been in the rickety white truck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know the rickety white so, truck. So so just the way that that Ben is toying with him. Yeah. Um, I think the type of character Ben is, this is, this is one of the best, I think, put to film. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, especially once you figure out what's going on, it's, it's very creepy, mm-hmm. um, in, in the best way. And then, uh, not to, I'm not going to spoil it, but man, the end of this film. I know. Whew. I know. Even, 
And if you look at it as it didn't, it's not real. Yeah. It and it makes it. At first, you, you I would feel disappointed by that, but it actually makes it more interesting in a way. And playing with like the idea of him being a writer and yeah. finally finding his muse in this all this circumstance that he kind of got himself yeah. into. Um, but well, yeah. there's a version of this where what if what if what the drawer represents is just sexual conquests, right? And she just ran off and she's somewhere, and it's not at all the story. That that Lee thinks it is, and this is just some rich jerk, and and he makes very decisive action at the end. Mm-hmm. I I really the credits rolled, and I was kind of relieved because I thought the that before the credits rolled, um, you know, she was going to roll back into town. <laughs> I really did, and I was I was oh, this is a whole other movie than I've you know. Well, but I mean, I was glad it didn't do that. It left it where that's an interpretation, but. Uh, there, <laughs> yeah, there. What makes it like the conversation they have before the exact mm-hmm. events at the end? Yeah, um, makes it even more mysterious of how like Ben is react, like because he kind of lures him out there by saying that she's with him. Yeah, and how he reacts to that makes it almost feel like he genuinely thought she might be there. Yeah. So then it makes you put into question like uh, maybe he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it like some of the uh, um, reactions that Lee has like mm-hmm. after the dancing scene where he's like um, you shouldn't take your shirt off like your shirt why, like, he says, like, he says like, why oh. do you take your shirt off so easily in front of boys yeah that's what whores do yep after declaring to Ben that he loves her yep but then when she wakes up what he says to her is just. Awful. I know. And there's another instant where he says something horrible. Like, yeah. oh, it's when he first see, meets her again after, like, when they were kids. And she's talking about how, like, the last time you I saw you, you came up to my face and told me how ugly I was. And he doesn't apologize. Nope. He doesn't tell her, uh, you know, I was just being a stupid kid. You're beautiful. Nothing. Yeah. He just lets that sit there. Yeah. So it kind of, like, puts into question, like— who is he exactly? Because mm-hmm. he's he comes can we off, trust him? Can he trust him? Because he he does come off as sweet and kind of dumb, and he's kind of our uh, foot into this world mm-hmm. because he's our main character. But like maybe he had something to do with the disappear- yeah. disappearance and just how he's like when what he's doing when he's alone in her apartment and he's just like masturbating the entire time and it's just like what and it puts into question like. Did they actually have a sexual relationship? Maybe, or was this, that just a fantasy? Was that a fantasy? Because they have another flash to that later on. Because it's like after she just and it's a fantasy. Yeah, yeah. So it's really fascinating and yeah. re- like subtle, but like deep and interesting. I think the power of the dog is a really good comparison. Yeah, uh, it's it's that tonally, it's it's that style of film and storytelling mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I again highly would recommend this. It's just it's it's a very interesting watch. Yep. And it it even plays with genre a little bit, and, and just in I don't know. Yeah, um, I was very glad I watched it. I'm glad you this liked was it. Far better than 2067. <laughs> so much. But better. somehow 2067 was better than The Matrix. Yeah, for it me. was honestly. <laughs> I'll tell we you right hated now, that movie. We did. Um, man. Well, I'm glad you liked it because, like, I, I knew it was I very kind of- much did. Uh, this, you know, when I talk about this, this is very much like Under the Skin. Yeah, where I'm fine with a movie being slow and taking its time, or almost on the verge of boring, if it has something that it's headed towards. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And as long as it pays off that, it doesn't even have to be big and flashy. Mm-hmm. It just has to engage my brain in a way where I'm like, ooh, okay, mm-hmm. see what you're doing now. Uh, even to the point I want to watch this again because the whole time I was thinking – yeah. I can't take anything at face value. And I was guessing clear up until the end. And then even after the credits rolled, like I said, I could imagine three different scenes you could tack on to the end of this that would make it a completely different film and and recontextualize what happens at the end. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it just, wow, I I really enjoyed it. So, uh, Have you ever read any Harukai Murakami? No. I don't think so. You've talked about him before. Yeah, you should check out like even like a collection of his short stories. Okay. That the vanishes and the elephant vanishes. What this story's from, um, and then like the wind uh, wind up bird chronicles is really good. Do you and have copies? I do. Yeah, right, bring me one. I'll, okay, I'll read. But he's great. Okay. Um, so the French Dispatch, you know, it's proceed with caution. It is a good film, but it is just a good film. Uh, Spencer. Uh, we both thought was was fairly incredible. Clint's mm-hmm. possibly going to put it on the top of his list. It will definitely be in my top ten. Not what I expected. Very good film. And Burning, which I believe is from, is it 2019? It that or 2018. Maybe. 2018, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, definitely worth checking out. It is on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to pay for it. Um, but definitely a good flick. So uh, I'm hoping that this bodes well for what Cinetron is going to give us this week. Um, we will probably not get to our Cinetron pick, whatever gets spun up here, until two episodes from now. Because we're going to, here at some point in early January, we're going to do our best of 2021. Probably the next episode? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. We I need to make sure uh, that that we've got you know, kind of all the movies we want to see before we do that list. I want to... Well, do you want to do I, I the Cinetron spin at the end of that episode, or do you want to do it now? No, let's go ahead and do it okay. now, and just whatever spins, we'll we'll do it the next time we have a regular episode. Maybe, okay. Maybe next time, maybe the time after next time, maybe 2024, <laughs> maybe we'll disappear for a year again. Who knows? <laughs> Who can say? Your guess is as good as mine, Ken. Spin that thing. Ken, have you heard of this one? Arctic. Arctic. That's, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, yeah, Mads Mikkelsen. And uh, I've scrolled past it a couple of times. Directed by Joe Penna. Joe Penna. Okay. So Joe Penna was the one who did Stowaway oh. on Netflix. <laughs> oh, that one that we sort of didn't like by yeah, the end because it was real cynical and bleak yeah. and just sort of aimless and mm-hmm. uh, okay um i don't know if that gives me more hope or less hope. It has i mean 90 percent on rotten tomatoes really okay yeah. this sounds like a, a a bleak film to begin with so maybe he'll work for it it's about a man stranded in the arctic i love mads uh mads is great wish my and, name was mads man change it okay you're an adult I'm you can legally do, that now. do that just legally change it mads jones Mad, that's a good name isn't it <laughs> i thought so mads jones man. mads jones yeah 
I like it. Clint, Clint, do it. Clint, Clint Mads Jones. <laughs> no, that just sounds like I'm upset. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, whatever. Um, I'm I'm up for anything with Mads. Cool. So I'll even put away my my hesitance because this is the guy who directed Stowaway and. This might be better than that, though. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. People seem to like it, so I'm, I'm all about People it. People are fools. They are. All right. So uh, uh, sometime, either the next time or the next time after the next time, we are going to do our best of 2021. I'm excited because I guarantee you, Clint, mm-hmm. I promise you, okay. my list is going to be very different than yours. <laughs> I have put my list together already, uh, barring one or two other films I might see. Is it going to be just Spider-Man 10 times? No. Okay. No. I I would not do that to you. But I'm telling you right now, I can almost guarantee not even my runners up will be uh like yours. We'll we'll have a couple that we'll that we'll share, I'm yeah. sure. But uh I, I think you're gonna shake your head at my list a little because <laughs> this is apparently the year of movies that made me feel good. Yeah. Well, you need that sometimes. Therapy movies. Yeah. Uh so we'll see. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong, but that'll be next episode or the episode after, and then uh, and we'll we'll see what trouble we get up to in 2022, um, and just how depressed we get, mm-hmm. how cynical about humanity. Let's see how low we can go. Oh, ho, ho, ho. it's reverse social limbo. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Cinebabble episode 45. As always, you can find us on cinebabblecast.com. You can find us on Instagram and, uh, you know, where all your podcasts are free. Not so. I almost said sold, but they're, they're just free. Yeah. We Does should. anywhere charge for podcasts? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Who? Well, I mean, it's like for exclusive content and stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we could Patreon it up. Yeah. And just chill people for money. And nobody give them... would hear those because nobody would pay for them. No, they'll pay a dollar a month to get our full thoughts on the Matrix Resurrections, right? You pay a dollar for that. Email us and let us know if you pay a dollar for that. If not, we'll just do it for free. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't pay us. We'll just, we'll keep churning this stuff out. Uh, but thanks as always for listening. Uh, we, we have fun time doing this and it's kept us... Sane through the complete fall and disintegration of all things that made humans good before 2020. So uh, hug your neighbor and uh, not too close, though, if they've got COVID. Uh, be careful. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And, Don't bring uh, it to celebrate Cody schmidt Mafee. Yeah. Day. And, and thanks for rejoining us in 2021. We're back and, and it's been a good time. So see you all in 2022. And uh, see you, Ken. See you, Clint. In 2022. 2022. Do, 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 do. <laughs>